the Yak Babies. Sex, presidents, and sometimes books. Welcome to Yak Babies, the only podcast on the internet sponsored by Puppy Pod brand dog boxing gloves, Fight Your Dog. My name's Aaron, here are my personal pals, Dave. Morning, boys. We have Brick. I would win. I'm sure he would. Uh, and of course, we have <laughs> new main Nico. Hello. Hello. Uh, do, do you also get a pair of boxing gloves or is it just the dogs? I think it's just you. Like the, the dog. So you, you, oh, the dog is bare hand. I think so. Because that's claws. Okay. Okay. That feels like a fair exchange. <laughs> Plus, like, you want to, like, soften the blow because you are stronger than your dog, probably with, like, at least with your arms, mm. right? Well, Nico's two on yeah. one, though. Let's not forget. Although that's like five pounds yeah. of dogs still. That's true. Yeah. They're a combined total of 25 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> you do forearm curls with chest dogs. Yeah. <laughs> well, folks, it's been a while since we've checked in with the personal pals to see what they're reading. It's a classic, traditional Yak Babies, what are we reading episode. So I'm going to go around the horn and hear from all the personal pals and hear what they've been reading and enjoying lately or not enjoying or wish they were enjoying, or anything like that. But your lately, uh, late, uh, recent reading habits. Hmm. Those are some words I would say. <laughs> Let's start with Three, Brick. Two, one. Yeah. <laughs> Brick, what do you got reading-wise? What's on your list? Well, I have a lot of unfinished books, but I will save those hmm. to hopefully finish them. Um, I got two. Actually, this one's an unfinished book because I'm not going to finish it because I didn't like it. Oh, shit. But I started. It is called The Song of Pentecost by W.J. Corbett. Okay. It is a kid's book from the 80s, Redwall-ish, though I think it might Mm. actually be before Redwall, about talking animals and that kind of stuff. Sure. The voice, I just didn't like the voice. It was this kind of like, I don't know, it didn't quite have that right, like fairy tale narrator feeling it felt too written if that makes sense Hmm. Uh, and then it was really it was really talky so i read about 50 pages it's only a 250 page book okay out of like 250 pages but i was like nah i don't i don't need to keep spending time with it (laughs) so if you really want to talk an animal book that is supposedly full of wit and quirky humor courage and determination Hmm. give that one a shot does have illustrations which are kind of nice but no, I'm going to pass. Kind of a You're boring. Good. <laughs> it is a boring time. Pentecost is the name of the mouse. It's like this mouse and this frog end up teamed up and there's this snake who is mad because his uncle stole his mortgage. It was, it was, you could tell it was like trying real hard to be some sort of parable for something or, or analog for something or something. But I didn't have the patience to figure it out. I'm sure it was really delightful. Kids love 19- mortgage drama. Yeah, this, it's what happened. It's how it starts. He got like tricked, tricked in uh, the. Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Uncle Snake stole the best pond by slipping, slipping something in a contract. With that's yeah, that's how. So no thanks. Uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and not listen to the rest of the song of Pentecost. Sure. Yeah. Also, like a really like loaded sounding title, right? And then it turned out to be just yeah. Like that. Yeah, yeah. It definitely sounds like something's gonna be, I don't know, troubling. Nope, just a mouse called Pentecost. And then this book called Anger by Thich Nahan, who's the, when we did our books everyone should read, uh, I picked one of his books. Mm. A friend of mine handed me this one because he knew I liked him, so I read it. It's fine. You know, a lot of these, you know, a lot of books of this ilk that are kind of like Buddhist-y self-help are all 
pretty similar and, and his are as well. Mm. So I think, you know, there's something nice there in kind of covering that same material. And this one is through the, through the lens of like uh, anger and between relationships um, and how to sort of use that as a, as a way to, to strengthen relationships between people as opposed to uh, uh, drive wedges between them. Uh, but it's right. largely just a book about mindfulness. So I think I'm not really angry at anyone right now. So I didn't, nothing really <laughs> stuck out to me, but it would probably be a great entry point if you were in a, he, he was going through a divorce. This is his copy. So. Oh, wow. Okay. But, you know, it's good. I really like the guy. Uh, I think I would still start with Miracle of Mindfulness or uh, No Mud, No Lotus, but. Worth a shot if you have someone that's going through some stuff and wants a very like anger specific approach to to mindfulness and looking at social social balance in your life while you work on your practice. Then I, I suppose it is. Uh, Should you go back and reread work. early work and then read it and see if that gives you something to <laughs> reflect on? <laughs> no, because I I want to be angry on that one. And we we did that <laughs> anger appropriately, right? So one of the uh, one of the suggestions in here is you know anger should be cooked as he said he compares it to potatoes right if you put the potatoes on the fire really hot and then turn them off after five minutes you have an unfinished potato so instead you need to live with that anger and work your way through it and make it part of the process of coming to terms whatever it is and i think we sufficiently cooked the anger (laughs) on early work and so i I feel like we really worked through that process and we're all better for it by engaging And allowing that to burn out and we really finish the meal on that. We do need to read the sequel to early work at some point. Uh, yeah, like yeah. A, a necessity for us. Yeah, that's, that's going to have to happen. Duty. Maybe that's, I don't know, I feel like I've been putting that off to some extent because of like just the misery of the world and like not wanting to add any more. But we should definitely, we should definitely take it on at some point. Wait, does that exist or are we talking about that story collection that he put out? Does he, he yeah, sorry, I'm talking the story no, 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 oh, the story okay. collection. But wasn't the story collection, isn't there a story that is a I think one of them is, uh, involves Leslie, but yeah, I think just one piece in there. I think the rest are just like about probably other writers. <laughs> <laughs> other people's right. Spotify playlists. Maybe after Beloved and White Noise, we need a palate cleanser. Yeah. yeah, we'll put that on Canon or Canon, just to feed Poseidon. Cool, good picks. This is good. Over to David. Dave, what's going on? Mm, I haven't finished anything noteworthy. But I think you guys will be interested to learn that uh, for Christmas this past year, I asked some members of my family for subscriptions to a few literary magazines. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Which we we (laughs) long ago divided, uh, devoted a full episode to. And I think we really dig deep into what those accomplish and what they don't accomplish. But it's been, I think, some years since I subscribed to any. So I thought I would give it a a fair shake. And so we have one story. Mm -hmm. Classic. Classic, as its title will alert you to. They put out one story per month. So each issue is just one story. Sometimes longer. Some of them are longer than like your typical magazine will take. I used to really like one story. Yeah, they've done some good stuff in the past. So far, what's the the shortest that they do? Would they send you like a one-page story? (laughs) <laughs> there have been some that have been just few pages. I don't know hmm. what I, huh. I can't say what the okay. shortest I've seen is, but you know, I, I don't think that they would say no to a story that was just a page if it felt like the best story, right? But huh. then same if uh, you know if it were like fifty pages. So of the three I've gotten so far, and I I mean I don't know what the word counts are, so it's hard to say what 
it looks like, but the longest one is 33 pages with that kind of print. Okay. Pretty so like full, help our full novel size pages. Okay. Yeah, roughly. Are they still shorter? They still like the smaller bound. I couldn't really yeah. see on your camera. Yeah. Yeah. They're little compared to, so this is the next one, Boulevard. And this is how one story stacks mm. up to it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's a smaller, it's like you can stuff it in your pocket easily. But yeah, I think it's still probably one of the better ones of the magazines that are devoted to fiction. So yeah, I'm curating down to so one far. story a month helps. But. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, it's pretty prominent magazine, so I'm sure they get a ton of submissions. Yeah. That's one of your like upper tier. If you're yeah. looking to like working through soliciting your story somewhere, that's like the, you know, couple start start there yeah no definitely start there they're trying to aim there i think you're starting with like yeah that's what that's what i mean like with your send it out there first like your shoot for the moon you have like the list of realistic publications and then oh i may as well send it to one story as well yeah yeah you're gonna send to the chamber four anthology first and then try and build from there right so another one is boulevard which Mm -hmm. i've always liked but haven't read in a few years I think I know that one. What I didn't know is that, so it comes out of St. Louis. I thought it was attached, specifically attached to a school, but it's not, which makes me like it even more. I'm partway through the first one. I have this thing too, where, you know, we talk a lot about like, you know, we have this urge to read. We wish we could read as many books as possible. Right. And it's like, sometimes it feels like checking off a list and like, just like more about volume. So when I read these magazines, I, I sometimes feel weird about it taking time away from reading books, <laughs> which like intellectually I know is stupid, but um, you know, at the time it just feels like, Oh, I should be reading a book instead. Like, you know, I'm picking my way through Lolita so we can talk about that in a future episode. And it's like anything I read outside of that is feels like, distraction that is keeping me from the real goal or something even though that's not how i should be approaching reading right so yeah boulevard poetry fiction nonfiction. i'm trying to read through as much of the poetry as i can as i find palatable (laughs) the fiction out of here there are six stories there's really there's one that i would reread if i had to (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the others are just kind of, you know, it kind of feels like what we have talked about before when we talk about literary magazines are like, you know, you're going to find a piece or two that makes for a good reading experience and maybe even something worth rereading. And then outside of that, it's just like, oh, it's, you know, it's a lot of like mediocre, probably like fairly well yeah. executed or like reasonably executed work. But yeah, you know, nothing that's that you're going to be able to latch on to. Right. You're not going to finish a story very often in a literary magazine and be like, holy shit, that was good. Right. But I think Boulevard is, if it's not in the first tier, it's like upper part of of the the second tier. I think I would be very happy to have a story in there. Um, right. Despite everything I just said. <laughs> so it's good. <laughs> yeah. It this, the comment for all these conversations about literary fiction and, and the publishing world, and especially like magazines and journals, is that, like, yeah, I would, of course, die to have my story. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can we can sneer at it as much as and, and deservedly so in lots of cases, but also like if they came to my door, like I'm not gonna say like no, I don't wanna publish in your journal. Of course not. Yeah. Right. 
And it feels like Boulevard is something that's more, you know, Boulevard is going to be less likely to publish. Like those stories we always talk about, you know, like a writing professor going through a, a rocky divorce, <laughs> you know, that kind of story. Um, you're less likely to find in Boulevard than you mm -hmm. are in a lot of other literary magazines. It has maybe more on its mind than some do. And then we have Boston Review, oh, nice. which I've never actually subscribed to. I read their stuff online a lot um pretty heavily political journal and you know leans our way pretty well and so i appreciate that the first issue i got was all essay titled imagining global futures kind of like i wouldn't call it deeply academic stuff but it's not just for like a casual you know sit down and read um, right okay. variety type situation so i'm still working through that the next issue which i've already gotten is all speculative fiction and poetry mm. and speculative nonfiction, which i'm curious to find out what's going on there yeah it's got a juno diaz piece in it who i guess weathered the his me too moment evidently so he still yeah, teaches that mit right that. that i don't know well let's see i'll flip through to his bio page while i talk about and then the fourth one yeah juno diaz teaches writing at mit yeah. So I guess he hung on to that. Uh, and I have yet to get my first issue of the fourth magazine, which is Plowshares, put out by the MFA program we all met in Emerson College sure. in Boston, yeah. which is another of those. Yeah, I would call it top tier, right? Of yes, the, definitely. Particularly of the school journals, uh, for sure. So, but I haven't read it in a few years, so I'm looking forward to seeing what they're up to. I expect it'll they're up to the stuff they've always been up to. But yeah, I would imagine so. That feels like the vanguard of the sort of literary fiction divorce story <laughs> canon. Mm -hmm. This is great, Dave. I love that you're doing this. This also, I think, will give some inspiration or some impetus to us to finally do that. Let's all read one issue of a lit magazine and critique it episode. Oh, yeah. I uh, forgot about that. Yeah. So maybe that kind of helps to narrow down the right. field to those four. And then we'll choose one at some point in the future and, and do a deep dive on it. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Good call. Maybe as I'm going through these, if a particular issue jumps out, I can I'll throw it your way. Yeah, yeah. If one stands out, let us know and we'll we'll get it and then yeah, because we'll do like a comprehensive dissection. Yeah. Post mortem on this issue, whatever. Good call. Very good. Uh Nico, up to you. Okay. Most of the books that I read Unfurls the scroll worth threes and fours. Okay. Mediocre. So I'm gonna I'm gonna a fours try mediocre? and talk. Yeah, so we, we uh, this is one of the things I put in my. We're not going to need to have a whole episode about Nico's scoring system. We were score. I can tell you what my scoring system is. I know, Dude, but one say, but... is terrible. <laughs> Two is bad. Three stars is okay. Four stars is good, and five stars is great. But I, but I'm not going to like. I'm not going to recommend almost anything to anybody that's not five stars. Because like, what? Okay. What's the point? So like, I mean, four stars is okay, but like. I, or is four, four stars is good. good, but it but it has yeah. but it you know has flaws. It has visible flaws. Sure. Okay. Um, so there's How a couple of four stars. Dicks and that thumbs does four convert to one and a half of each. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So like uh, so I'm gonna go for ones and fives mostly. So I read this book. I heard Jeffrey Archer on a podcast. Uh, have Have you guys? You guys know vaguely who Jeffrey Archer is? I don't think so. He's a British nope. mystery writer. He's been writing mysteries for like 50 years. He's fucking 87 or something. This is going to be a one lord. star. He's in, in the House sure. of Lords. Damn. He 
at one point in the 80s was the deputy minister of the Conservative Party in the UK. And his book that was – I was absolutely shocked because I got a used copy and, and absolutely shocked to find out that it was published in 2019. I thought it was published in – I like literally I read a Dorothy Sayers book from 1923 that felt less antiquated than this book that was published <laughs> in 2019. It was unbelievable. It's just like – so it's like this this son of a lord who decides to become a cop because he has such a – fucking justice boner and immediately people are like oh one day you're gonna be the chief of police because he's a lord because it's just like so old school british like pro-colonialism yeah Yeah, pro-lords pro-cops pro-monarchy pro-authority all of this like benevolent dictator fucking horseshit that the british have been doing for 800 years to convince themselves that what they're not doing is ruining the lives of half the world at the height of their colonialism. So that I can, with confidence, say you can completely write off Jeffrey Archer as a writer. His entire catalog (laughs) is suspect, and I will never go back to one of his books. Wow. Then there's one from an Australian writer called uh, Benjamin Stevenson, a book called Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone, and that that was a five-star. Good title. And it's kind of a a good title. Yeah. It's kind of a clever updating of that Dorothy Sayers kind of golden age Agatha Christie mystery. Mm. And it is like the 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 narrator of it that's that's writing the story is a in the book he writes books about those mysteries. So he like lays out all the rules of this mystery and he's like, I'm gonna tell you know, I'm gonna like the killer is one of these people that you meet in the first half of the novel. I'm not going to like surprise you with the killer at, with the new character at the end. All those kinds of rules that make it satisfying and also it's pretty entertaining, pretty funny. And then man, a lot of lot of uh mediocre books. The Writing Retreat, oh, which yeah. was a debut debut novel that I sent you guys some uh uh some some clips of, I think. Yeah. And man, it was it was really, really bad. It's one of those books, like, so it's a thriller, and you know from the flap copy that it's like this this person gets invited to the super exclusive writing retreat, and then shit starts going wrong. But sh- sh- the character who's invited there does not understand that something sinister is happening until fully halfway through the book. So the first half, you're just sitting there like, why are you so stupid? <laughs> like, why do you not see what's happening and she's like well but you know she's like making excuses for the uh the the woman who's writing the writing retreat and it's like this is a thriller like you have to why am i waiting for you to catch up to 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 the flap copy for for half the book so that sucked uh and then it's also like the the reasons like once you're done reading it the reasons that the the bad guys have for doing what they're doing don't make any sense if you stop to think about it. It's like you could get what you wanted so much easier, so, so much easier instead of doing this completely insane thing. The concept of that book disgusts me, but you said you felt like it had some potential. Like if it had been done better, you would have been into it. I thought the premise had potential. Yeah, it's like, you know, you can get into all of the, like that's why I picked it up was because the, I thought it was a good premise. Like you could get into all of the, you know, backbiting and, and whatnot of a, of a writing retreat of, you know, writing culture, all that kind of stuff and kind of have what's normally like kind of a, a relatively reserved sniping at each other. Like the bad art friend thing that we, that we read. Right. That's, that's like, that was incredibly dramatic for a writing 
group was for for this uh for this thing to you know blow up into a lawsuit most of the time it's just like people you know talking shit about each other right so i thought it had potential but i mean fuck it was it was not well executed right have you have you heard of the the memoir i'm glad my mom died yeah Jeanette Jeanette mccurdy yeah yeah i I listened to the audiobook of that and it's it uh lives up to the hype it's like Hmm. it's really really good it's just like a child actor who was basically completely exploited right their entire life and her by her mom her, her mom who like basically gives her an eating disorder and like forces her to act and in uh all these things and she just has this complicated relationship with her mother hmm. obviously she's glad that her mom died right. that's and it's also pretty entertaining and then i also read the memoir a heart that works but rob delaney gets uh, heard yeah. of that yeah Rob Delaney's a comedian who did Catastrophe, and this is a memoir of his uh, son dying of brain cancer. Like, his son was basically born with brain cancer and had surgery when he was, like, one year year old and then dies, I think, before he turns three. And so that – I mean, that audiobook, if you want to just have a good cry, (laughs) it's, like, three hours – the audiobook is three hours long, and it's just – will destroy you. Will absolutely destroy you. And then I think it's, wait, sorry, it's like it's well written too, or it's just like the story is sad. Yeah. Yeah, it's well written. And there's there's like I mean he's a comedian, so like there's there is a little bit of humor, but then also it's just like this is this is what happens, like step by step. Like then we go to the we go to the brain surgeon and we have to stay in this special place next to the hospital because we have to be able to go to the hospital all the time. Cause he, the kid lives at the hospital for six months and in the UK. And then there's like the ramifications of the healthcare system in the UK, which is <laughs> sounds like an absolute dream compared to America. Like they didn't pay yeah. for anything. Right. They, they lived at the hospital for six months. They had all these surgeries and they, they don't, they don't pay for anything. Yeah, but then just the way that the and Rob Delaney seems like a like a good father and like he really wanted to have kids. So then that's that's even more destroying. And then uh, read the Candy House by Jennifer Egan. This is I think this is pretty pretty mediocre, but it's like a, a well known book. It's like the follow up to the Goon Squad, which won the Pulitzer. Yeah, or Visit from the Goon Squad. But it is a weird book. Do you guys read Visit from the Goon Squad? Yeah. I never have. Right. That should be maybe it should go on our canon canon list. I think. No, I don't think so. Because <laughs> okay. I think Sounds it's like, like it should. it's, <laughs> it's uh, I think it's um, pretty similar to this. So this one is in in structure. It seems sounds like Visit from the Goon Squad is pretty similar to this one, which is kind of a bunch of characters. Loosely interlinked stories, up and and so like each one, almost every one will be from a new character's perspective, and you kind of get a little bit of a clue of how they fit into the overarching plot, which is happening. Right. But that means that that plot is not like never really takes off because it happens in these little snippets. So like the 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 stories themselves also don't feel very important because they're just like a little part of this larger structure but they never really move the the whole thing forward so like this mm-hmm. one is about a society in which people like externalize their memories uh, via facebook basically and if there's this social media network where people can go in and like 
experience other people's memories and, and experience other people's lives, which seems like a big idea. And then what do they do with that? Almost nothing. Hmm. It's just like, you know, like watching your mom like smoke weed in the woods when she was 25, that kind of thing. And it's like, okay. So it's like, a, it's like a sci-fi premise with a literary author's interest in using that for like these very small moments between characters. And it's like, okay, but these char- these moments are small. Like they're, they're just never approach the, the kind of s- scope of the premise. So right. I don't really, definitely not my kind of book. <laughs> and I think, I think visit from the good squad is the same. Cause like a lot of these characters are continuations of characters from that book. And like by the end of it, in my Goodreads review, I compared it to watching somebody like completely remodel their kitchen and like rip everything out, put all this like custom new cabinets, new appliances, all this shit. And then they make you like a spaghetti bolognese with the, with the new kitchen. And it's like, okay, yeah, the spaghetti's okay. Sure. Yeah. It's good. But you didn't need to rip your kitchen apart to do that. Like you didn't need to do all this shit just to have somebody like smoke weed in the woods. You know, it's the, it just doesn't make any sense to me that it's, I, I just think that the, the, it's one of those things where the style and the form is the, is the kind of the point of it and right. the actual stories and really even the characters aren't, are um, not in the same, don't, don't have the same care paid to them, I guess. Right. Not weighted the same in the conception of the yeah. text. Yeah. And do you care about plot, Nico? <laughs> well, so at the very end, there's this line from the narrator, like that kind of breaks the fourth wall, and where she says, only this character's machine, this one, fiction, like the novel itself, lets us roam with absolute freedom through the human collective. Hmm. And so it seems like in that book, the what you see is not the point. It's the fact that you have the freedom and the, the novel has the freedom to dip in and out of all of these characters. It doesn't matter what, what they're doing. Right. It's the, it's the act of like going between them, which I mean, you know, if that's your thing, great, but it's not mine. Sure. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> well, excellent. Good. A good rundown. Let's see over here. A couple things. I'm in that, that time of the year where I just have, basically no time to read i'm just overwhelmed by work but i managed to squeeze a couple things in here and there i did read a 33 and a third about acdc's highway to hell which was pretty good it's written by who's the author joe bonomo or bonomo i'm not sure how to pronounce that it was a half of it was great and then the second half felt like uh padding a lot of these 33 thirds can feel like they came from an article maybe a profile or a sort of like a long review that was published somewhere else and got a you know positive feedback and was sort of like tapped for potential growth. And then, you know, the author gets to 60 pages and realizes they don't have much more to say. And so they kind of end up <laughs> like, there was lots of like, at the end it was like, and people still talk about ACDC on message boards. It's like, yeah, I bet. Like it's, I don't know. It felt like kind of like janky. I'm uh, working through another 33 or third about Joy Division's Unknown Pleasures by Chris Ott, which is an album I love uh, and a writer who I despise. Uh, Chris Ott's a massive asshole. So the reading is interesting because it's actually a pretty 
good book. Uh, he's not a bad music writer. He's just a prick. And so that prick energy comes through very clearly in the way he did, is talking about the sort of meaning and impact of Joy Division, but it's really well-researched. So it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, take the both sides of the sword there, I suppose. So I'll finish that one probably pretty soon. Lots of comics. I have found that a sort of comfort retreat in kind of busy times is I'll read 60s and 70s Marvel superhero comics at night, like one or two, just to kind of like go to bed. So I've been reading through a lot of those and enjoying. I read the Tomb of Dracula series a while back, which was great. You know, very campy stuff, uh, but really well drawn. And then I finished a series uh, by Tom King called The Human Target, written by Tom King, drawn by Greg Smallwood. I mentioned this before, and I finally, the, the last issue came out, I think last month, and I really loved it. And I just wanted to talk a bit about it because I think it's really worth a read. I'm not sure if I would totally recommend it to the personal pals because it does require a bit of comics lore, I think, to really understand, you get the full impact of it. But it's a good story. The basic premise is this guy, the human target, his name's Christopher Chance, and his profession is that he's like a professional decoy. Like if you think you're going to get assassinated, you hire him to take your place and he'll like dress up as you and then take the assassination attempt and either like dodge it or like recover from it or whatever so that people think they've killed you, but you actually haven't been killed and you can sort of survive or whatever. It's this whole like thing. And so Lex Luthor hires him because he believes he's going to be assassinated and he foils the attempt, but then someone poisons a drink and he mistakenly drinks it. The human target does. And so he gets poisoned and he's going to die. There's no cure for it. And he realizes or discovers and sort of getting it checked out by a superhero doctor that there's a particular origin to the poison and he actually can find out who had access to that poison and figure out maybe who killed him. So he comes like this vengeance mission to figure out who was the one who did it. And he realizes that it's someone from the Justice League, a certain ear of the Justice League, which is like a, a very specific and beloved ear from the 80s. But it's all rendered through noir, film noir archetypes. So Chance is the detective, the hard-bitten detective. There's a femme fatale. There's the bruiser. There's the like sort of like know-it-all guy. It's all, but they're all sort of like you know known superheroes, kind of filtered through these archetypes. And so every issue is a new twist in the story and a new character and sort of like investigation. He eventually figures out who did it, and it's a good resolution. I felt like the sort of mystery you know panned out the way I wanted it to. And I read lots of reviews online of people who were upset that it ruined the characters, and I really didn't feel that way. I thought that. It, the characters very well there's a great issue where so one of the justice leaguers around that time was batman and at some point chance the hero does something bad i won't reveal it because i won't spoil it for anybody and he believes that he's going to be caught by batman and so like every issue has been like a sort of a cameo or like a guest star from some justice leaguer and so you think that batman is going to have like batman in it but the whole issue is just him on the run and thinking that Batman's around the corner at every turn and trying to like outthink Batman. And he like crashes a car intentionally and tries to hide, does all this stuff, and Batman never appears. It's like a kind of classic, like sort of clever twist on a you know the character's presence is his absence, right? And it was really good. It just felt it was a really exciting, thorough read. I really enjoyed Human Target. The art's gorgeous too. I mean, Greg Swalwood's one of the best artists in comics these days, and it's even if you don't like the story, it's worth looking at just to see the pages. But yeah, like I said, I'm not sure. How many? I'd say rush around and get it because it does require some of that deeper comics comics knowledge. But if you can look overlook that, it is a really satisfying story. I think. How how many issues is it? Twelve. Right. Twelve with I a like, bonus. I like that it. It wraps up in those 12? Yeah. Okay. Tom King, he describes his process. He writes his comics in novel form. Like he writes them to be sort of a you know, contained story and, sort of like, and then divvies it up in terms of issues. I like that. Yeah. So he he's done a couple 
ongoing series, but mostly he does limited, you know, 12 issue series like that. And there was one like bonus issue. There's just like sort of like ancillary stories that are unnecessary. They're fun, but they're not, not required certainly to understand the rest of the story. And that is it. Well, listeners, tell us what you're reading these days. You can find us online at Twitter, on Twitter at yakbabies, and you can email us at yakbabiespodcast at gmail.com with your recommendations, thoughts, questions, and so forth. Also, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash yakbabies, where you can get access to our bonus podcast. We're doing all kinds of fun stuff there, games and Brodebro conversations and totally separate podcasts about jokes and all kinds of madness happening there. Like I said, $1 a month is all we're asking to get access to all that good stuff there. And then, of course, our merch, tinyurl.com slash jackbabies, where we have t-shirts and mugs all designed by Brick. They're really funny and worth your dollars, and the attention you'll get will be very uh, exciting for that. Hmm. Anyway, jackbabies, yakking off. The Yak Babies would like to thank all the loyal listeners, and especially their patrons, both past and present, including Michael, Bonnie, Sebastian, David, Roger, Kathleen, Bailey, Andrew, Gilbert, and William Howard Taft. Oh.